Now, when I was in college, I had a really good friend named Joel. Joel was one of my best friends in college. And me and Joel bonded over our love for music. We had the exact same taste in music. And we, you know, when we, anytime we found a new band, we were like, Joel, you got to hear this, or Aaron, you got to hear this. And we spent most of our free time hopping around Dallas on the weekends, going to different little venues and watching our favorite bands play. We'd go to the arenas there and watch bands play, because that was the best part about living in Dallas, is if it was a good music act, it was coming through Dallas. So we got to see everybody. But most of the time, we were going to like little rinky-dink little bars or whatever to watch bands play shows and stuff like that. And it was awesome. Did it all the time, right? One day after class, Joel comes up to me and he's like, Aaron, bro, guess what? And I was like, what, Joel? Knowing he probably got tickets to another show, right? I was right. He did. But I did not know which show. And it rocked my socks off when he told me. He goes, Aaron, bro, guess what? I got us tickets to go see at Six Flags, Sherwood, May, and Reliant K. Now, again, this is the reaction I expected from you. That's okay. But to me, that's like going to see who would be, who would be a good, who would be a good, who would be, who would be good. For the, since there's more ladies in the rooms than bros, it'd be like going to see, like, like T-Swift and like Ariana Grande and some other famous lady singer that you guys like a whole bunch. It was like the pinnacle of concerts for me, okay? It was the pinnacle of concerts. I loved Sherwood, I loved May, and my all-time favorite band to this day is Reliant K. I still listen to them. I know every word to every song on every album. And so when he told me that, I was super stoked. And he was like, but bro, guess what? And I was like, what, Joel? And he was like, we're not just going to see him at Six Flags on Friday. We're going to see him in Houston on Saturday. And I was like, I've never been to Houston. That's awesome. And he was like, I know, it's going to be amazing. And it was Easter weekend, so I felt like all of it was just a, a sign from the Lord, like that this was supposed to happen, and that it was going to be the greatest weekend ever, and it was. We went to Six Flags on Friday, and I got to see May and Sherwood and Reliant K play, and I was like this far away. Like, if I wanted to, I could have played the chords on their cards. I, it, was, it was on the guitars. It was all awesome. I was that close to them. And as soon as the show was over, so Friday, we rode all the rides at Six Flags because Six Flags and then we watched the show and I was just so happy and so excited and then we ran into the parking lot we beat everybody not everybody a lot of people left earlier but you know what I'm saying we ran into the parking lot as fast as we possibly could we jumped into Joel's truck and we drove around to the back of Six Flags where the tour buses were and we waited and when the tour buses left, we followed the tour buses all the way down to Houston. It was like a four-hour drive. It's two in the morning. We get to the venue with the buses. We pull around to the parking lot. We get into the parking lot, and we sleep in Joel's truck. And then we wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning, and it is pouring down rain. And in the pouring down rain, we go to the back of the venue at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we stand at the barricade where the tour buses are. Like, I could have touched the tour bus. I was so close to it. I was this close to the tour bus. For, I'm sorry, I'm doing it this way. I was this close to the tour bus, so that's how close I was to the tour bus, to Reliant K's tour bus, to my favorite band ever. They were in there. And we stood there until 1 o'clock in the pouring rain, 
until someone finally emerged from the tour, tour bus. His name was John Schneck. John Schneck is the lead guitarist for Reliant K. He came out and he's like, we've been watching you guys all morning. I was like, number one, that's creepy. Number two, why didn't you like give us ponchos or something, man? <laughs> he came over, he talked to us. It was awesome. Love John Schneck. Had a full-on, like, we were friends conversation with John Schneck. And then we watched Ryan K., all of them, go into the venue and practice. And they waved at us. And I was like, I got my picture taken with John Schneck, and Ryan K. waved at me. I can die happy. And then May came out, and they were like, y'all are crazy for standing in the rain. And we were like, we don't care. And they were like, we'll see you at the show. It starts at 8 p.m. At this point, it's like 2 in the afternoon, okay? The rain never quit, by the way. So they go in. And at this point, I'm like, it's Easter weekend. I've seen him. This is great. This is the best thing. I could die happy at this moment. But then this short little guy comes out of the third tour bus. And he's got huge afro blonde curly hair, big black thick rimmed glasses. And his name is Mikey. Mikey is the keyboard player for Sherwood. And he came over to us and he was like, what are you doing? We were like, we're getting ready to see the show. He's like, getting ready to see the show? You've got like six more hours. What are you doing? And we're like, we don't care. We wanted to see you guys, whatever. And so he goes, okay, well, do you want to get dry? And we were like, that would be great. That would probably. And he goes, okay, well, come with me. And he pushes the barricade back, and he let us come through. And we walked with him into the venue. Right, right, right. I mean, I'm on the stage. And right over here is Dave Douglas's drum set, and there's Matt Hoop's guitar, and there's Matt Thiessen's guitar, and I'm about to melt into a puddle of joy on the ground, or be my pants. Either way, there's going to be a puddle. So <laughs> I'm super jazzed about it. And he's like, okay, you guys hang out here, and I'll be right back. And so he wanders off, and we're just looking at all the things and looking at each other. There's no words. It's just... comes back and he's got two towels and he hands them to us and, and we're drying off and as, as we're drying off he goes oh you're going to need these too and they are backstage passes and he hands them to us and we were like <laughs> and we got to spend the rest of the day hanging out with them we got to spend the rest of the night hanging out with them. We watched them play. I was in a green room. I talked to Matt Thiessen like he was my best friend, my favorite songwriter ever. One of the most, in my opinion, gifted lyricists of all time. Talked to me, saw my face, shook my hand. We breathed the same air. <laughs> it was the greatest weekend ever. And if you go to my Facebook and you look at my albums, you can see a photo album titled The Greatest Weekend Ever where all of the pictures from that weekend are because no pick, no proof, right? <laughs> it is there. It happened. It was amazing. But none of it would have happened if Mikey hadn't invited us inside. None of it would have happened if he had, must, had, had wanted us to be a part of what they were doing. And that is what we're going to talk about tonight. God wants all of us to be part of what he is doing. He wants us to be part of what he's doing. This is another general call. What is a general call? 
Thanks, Evan. Yes, a general call is a call for everybody. A specific call is a call for one body. A general call is a call for everybody. This is a general call, and it is a call for everybody who is a Christian to be part of what God is doing. And the way that we become part of what God is doing is that we become part of the body. That is your first blank. We are called to be part of what God is doing by being a part of the body. If you have your Bible, go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, that's in the New Testament. So back half of the Bible, as you're scrolling, it should be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. This is a monumental occasion. And my wife can tell you, I've never had this many points in a message ever before, ever in my life. This is my first time ever doing a message with this many points. Okay? If you haven't been here before, I practiced this message earlier today and caught myself yelling at the top of my lungs. Okay? If that happens... I'm not angry, I'm just passionate. We are talking about something I am super passionate about tonight, okay? Being a part of the body. Being a part of what God is doing by being part of the body. Like everything that we've talked about, we can't do what God is calling us to do until we know what it is, right? What is the body? When I say the body, some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't. Okay, I'm going to make it clear for everybody what the body is in Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. I'd love to get you one. If not, go ahead and keep up on the, the screens or whatever. If I just start reading too fast, it's all on the screens. All the verse references and stuff are right there. If you've got your Bible, you're going to want to go to all these verses anyway because we're going to fly through them. But we are going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Christ is also the head of the church which is his body. So when we say body, we're obviously not talking about a physical body. We are talking about the church. So anytime you hear me say body, or you hear someone else in the church say the body, what we are talking about is the church. The church is Jesus' body. Jesus is the head. We, the church, are the body. Okay, But that's very specific because, again, he's not talking about a place, right? not talking about a specific place. It's talking about something else. The church. The big C church. Anybody knows, know what we mean when we say the big C church? It's what we call the universal church. The universal church. That means that everybody who has ever been a Christian ever in the universe, everybody who is currently right now a Christian in the universe, everybody who ever will be a Christian in the universe is part of the universal church. Everybody who has put their faith in Jesus to save them from their sins so that they can have a relationship with Him, they are a part of the universal church. It's every Christian everywhere throughout all time. 
That's what we mean when we say the big C church. But we also have a little C church. And a little C church, which is also a body, just like the big C church is, the little C church is what we call the local church, which is every individual church in every individual city or every individual community all around the world. So, for instance, Midtown is a local church. It is a local church body. New Life is a local church body. First Baptist Benton is a local church body. Every church in our community, in our city, is a local church body. Every church in every city and every community all over the world is a local church body. That is what we mean when we say the body. We're talking about a church. And when we say the church, sometimes we may say the church in reference to the big C church, every single Christian. Sometimes we may say church in reference to our specific church. But that's what we mean. Okay, We are talking about the church. But again, it's not a place. It is not a place. If you're in Colossians, go backwards to 1 Corinthians. And when you get there, you're going to want to put your bookmark there, your finger there, whatever, because we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians a couple times, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verse 12, okay? This is what it says. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So again, it starts out with the body analogy. It says, just like a human body has many parts, so does the church. Only the parts it's talking about aren't fingers or elbows or arms or eyeballs or knees or whatever body part you want to talk about. It's talking about people. How do we know it's talking about people? It says, just like the body has many parts, so does the church. And then it names Jews, Gentiles, slaves, and free. Those were the divisions that they kind of divided people up into during that time. It was kind of an overall general statement for everybody, meaning everybody who's a Christian, whether they're Jew or Gentile, slave or free. If they are a Christian, they are a part of of the body. They are the members that make up the body. And that is the beauty of the body because those people come from different backgrounds. They have different skin colors. They talk different. Some of them have committed really bad sins. Some of them haven't committed very many sins at all or sins that we would consider bad, right? They all have different amounts of money in their bank accounts. Some of them have great parents. Some of them had terrible parents. Some of them had big houses. Some of them had no houses. And yet they are all brought together as one in the body of Jesus, in the church. The church is not a place. It is a people. It's a people, not a place. That's your next blank. The body is a people, not a place. And it is made up of different people, completely different people from all areas, all walks of life. So that's the church. That's what the body is. That's what we mean when we talk about it. Now the question is, if it's not a place, then why do we come to a place at a time, and call it church, right? And why should we do that? Why do we need to be a part of that? The Bible gives us three reasons, and this is probably the part where I'm going to get a little bit loud, so 
Just bear with me, okay? Again, I'm super passionate about this. There are three reasons that we are supposed to be part of the church, that we are supposed to gather together with all of these different people at a specific place, at a specific time, in a specific community or city. First reason is to be heaven on earth. That's your next blank. Why be there? To be heaven on earth. Again, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. We're coming back and then go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. This is what it says. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Okay, first part of that passage Doug covered a couple weeks ago in church. He talked about us being salt and light. This is the second part of that where salt and light come together to be the light of the world. That's a very important phrase. That, that phrase, light of the world, means to represent heaven, to represent truth in the world. Because light in the Bible is always used as imagery for truth. When it talks about something being light, it means that that something is truth. And it is complete truth. It is pure truth. Okay, So we are supposed to be the complete, pure truth in the world. And the truth of the Bible is that we are made to have a relationship with God. The truth of the Bible is that God wants a relationship with us, wants a relationship with all of us, not just all of us in this room, but all of us everywhere, wants a relationship with all of us. And we meet together, different people from different backgrounds, who've gone through different things, who struggle with different things, who talk different, who look different. We meet together to show that to the world. To reveal that truth to the world. Because think about the world that we live in. Divided by everything. You're either inclusive. Or you're homophobic or you're transphobic. You're either accepting or you're a bigot. You're either accepted or you're canceled, right? We're divided by everything, how much money we make, where we live, what our skin color is, what our beliefs are, what we stand for. Are we supporting something? Are we not supporting? Everything divides us. Everything. And yet the church is called to come together in the middle of a community to show the world that it is not supposed to be that way. That the only thing that should be different about any of us is how we get to Jesus. We come together united by two things. Our love for God and His love for us. And there are no other divisions. We've all been baptized into one body as one people by one spirit. There is no longer Jew or 
or Gentile or jock or nerd or cool person or not cool person or whatever division you want to separate yourselves by that does not exist anymore. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are children of God, children of the Most High, and there are no other divisions that exist among you, and you come together as one body to show the world the truth that God wants a relationship with everybody and that He accepts everybody no matter who they are or where they have come from. come together to be heaven on earth to show people that just like in heaven we will all be together and we will all be together with God and that is the only thing that matters reason number two it's commanded it's commanded okay if you're in Go back to 1 Corinthians where your finger is. Keep your finger there, your bookmark, and then go past it to Hebrews. Hebrews is closer to Revelation. It's right before James and it's after the Timothys. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 25 says this. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Okay, so pretty straightforward. We're commanded to be in church. Do not. That's a command. Don't. That's a command, right? It's not saying, hey, it's a good idea for you to go to church, or you should probably think about going to church. No, it says, do not not go to church. That's a double negative. Do not not go to church. You should be there, okay? Straightforward. And it says, as some are in the habit of doing. Okay, that's one thing that's become really popular in our culture as well. Not just the culture of the world, but the culture of Christianity. It is a hugely popular thing for Christian influencers and Christian celebrities to want to distance themselves from the church, from the established church, from the church building, from the local body of believers. Why? Well, because the church has hurt so many people over the years. Well, the church has done so many bad things over the years. I don't want to be a part of that. I I love God, and I can have a relationship with God, but I don't have to go to church to have a relationship with God. And that is true, but that is not what God wants. That's not what God wants. It is not honoring or pleasing to God to not go to church, thus making not going to church sinful. And to say that you don't want anything to do with the church because the church has hurt people is, in my opinion, ridiculous. The church is made up of sinners. That's why we're all there. So I'm saying, look, I'm not going to the hospital because I might get sick. If you're already sick, you need to go to the hospital, right? That's why we're here in church. We are all sinners. What do sinners do? Sin against each other. Right? So yes, we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. Just like everybody else in the world. The, the thing that we have gotten wrong as Christians, period, is that we should have everything figured out when we come to Jesus. That is wrong. We come to Jesus because we don't have everything figured out, right? We are commanded to be in church. The Bible tells us that. It says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You cannot grow in your faith apart from community. Why? Because you have nobody holding you accountable. 
You have nobody telling you, hey, you could use some help in this area. You have nobody to help you in the areas that you're struggling with. You have nobody to call you out when you fail and tell you to get better in the, hey, Christians don't act like that. The fire doesn't burn hot when the coal is removed from the rest of it, right? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We help each other grow in our faith. We hold each other accountable. We, we, walk, we bear each other's burdens in love. That's, the, the Bible is clear about that over and over and over again. We think that Genesis, where it says God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, we think that that just means, oh, dating, oh, marriage. It's not good for man and woman to not have each other. They need to be in a relationship. That's not what it's talking about. It is not good for man to be alone, period, especially in their faith. It's a command for us to belong to a body of believers because that body of believers is going to help us grow in our faith. That body of believers is going to help us when we are weak. That body of believers is going to point out areas in which we need to grow in. So that's reason number two. Reason number three is we have a part to play in the body. We have a part to play in the body. If I start yelling during this part, it's because of the rain. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Go back there. Should have a bookmark or a finger there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting in verse 14. I'm going to read a lot. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body, because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make, me any le- would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important. Some parts of the body that think they have nothing to offer, that they have no gifts, are the most important. They're the most necessary The parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Have you ever hurt one of your fingers? Yeah? Ever hurt one of your fingers? Like smashed it, cut it, jammed it, whatever? Makes your whole hand useless, right? Like essentially you're like, I can't use this anymore. This is why I even have it. Just cut it off, right? I remember when I was in sixth grade, it was after school one day, we were in my neighborhood and we were playing tag with each other, okay? And I was not the fastest of my friends. I'm certainly not the fastest of my friends now. 
I am the fattest, but we were running, and the person who was it was coming to change that. He was going to make me it. Of course, I did not want to be it, so I'm running full speed, as fast as I possibly can. As I'm running, running into my neighbor's yard, she has this beautiful garden. In the middle of this beautiful garden is something that looks like a broomstick. It's really tall. It's about this big around, right? It's got a little plume on top of it. It looks like a little tree. And in my brain, I thought, that looks sturdy enough. And my plan was, as I run past this tiny little tree, I'm going to reach out, I'm going to grab it, I'm going to flip around, I'm going to go the other way. And the person chasing me is going to be like, what was that? Like in the cartoons, right? So I'm running. I get there. I stick out my arm and I go, ha, ha. And I fall over. And immediately in the game. Because I'm like, I'm hurt. Stop this. No, stop it. What had happened was, is that was not a small tree. It was called a devil's walking stick. And a devil's walking stick is covered head to toe in thorns like scales. And I got one of those bad boys right in the center of my thumb right here, okay? And those little spikes are poisonous, okay? And so my thumb immediately swelled up to where I couldn't, like, I couldn't bend it. Couldn't bend it this way. Definitely couldn't do that with it, right? Like, so now it's just there. It's just an appendage on my hand, right? It looked like a hot dog with a thumbnail, okay? Like I had a glizzy on my hand. So... I couldn't do anything with it. Nothing. I couldn't. The worst part was I couldn't play video games because I couldn't grip the controller. I couldn't bend my thumb. You can't play video games without a thumb. It's super imperative, right? So I couldn't play video games. I couldn't grip anything. I couldn't hold anything. I couldn't catch anything. I was playing football at the time. I couldn't catch anything. Like It was awful, right? In band, it was even worse because I couldn't hold my instrument. I played the trombone. I needed my thumb to do this, but it hurt so bad I couldn't rest my trombone on my hand. It was awful. My hand was basically useless. And it kept me from doing things that I really wanted to do and needed to do, right? That's what this verse, that's what these verses are telling us is that everyone in the body has a part to play in the body and every part is important. Every person in the body of Christ, every person in the church body has a part to play and every part is important. I love what it gives us no excuse. It says that somebody can't say, oh, because I can't teach or because I can't play music that I'm not important. It's it's not a thing. And somebody who does teach or play music or does some other important job can't look to somebody else and go, well, because you don't have these gifts, you're not needed or you're not. No. We are all important. We are all needed. We all play a part. And God has placed us here for that purpose. That's my favorite part of the whole passage. It says that God has placed each part right where he wants it. It is not random that you are here. It is not random that you are here at this church. It's not random that you go to school where you go to school, that you have the parents that you have, that you live in the house that you live in, that you're on the... None of that is random. You may think, oh, I like that, so I picked it. It's not random. It is built into you. And God has you here to play a part and a very important one. And if you don't play that part, then the rest of the body can't do what God has put it together to do. Let me say that again. If you don't play your part, the rest of the body cannot do what God has put it together to do. 
which leaves you thinking, well, what is my part, right? I want to know. Because not everybody's a teacher like I am. Not everybody is gifted to play music like Kara and Kelsey, right? Those are the parts that get all the glory, right? Those are the parts that are, that are seen. But again, it says even the most important parts are those that would seem less honorable or less necessary. So what part do you play and how do you figure that out? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what everyone wants to know. What is my part and how do I play it? Verse 1. If I could speak in tongues... If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't have love, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. You might think it's weird to talk about that verse, those, that passage right there, when we're talking about being a part of the body, because every time you've heard that passage in the past, it's been used at a wedding, right? You've gone in, you've sat down at a wedding, you've watched the wedding on TV, and they've used this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind, yada, yada, yada. And so we associate that verse with marriage. And whether you're a Christian or not, whether you go to church all the time, or never go in your life, most people when they have gotten married have used that verse. But it has nothing to do with marriage. Nothing. Again, in, contact, in context, it is connected directly to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is talking about being a part of the body, right? And so it's a natural progression. You are a part of the body. You have a role to play. Here is how you play that role. Love, dadgummit, love. Look, it says if you could do all of the spiritual things that the Bible tells you to do, if you had all knowledge, if you could just open your Bible and tell people exactly what things meant, if you could prophesy and tell them the future, exactly what God wanted for them, if you did all of these spiritual things, all of these good things, even if you died as a martyr, if you gave your life but didn't have love, all of it would be useless and not mean anything. So if we're going to play our part right, we have to play it with Love, that is your next blank. We play our part with love. Sorry, mommies and daddies, I'm about to go long. But real quick, we play our part with love. Love for three things. Love for three things. First thing, love for God. We play it with love for God. Seems like a no-brainer, right? Like it seems silly for me to say that. Of course we have to love God if we're going to play our part and do what God wants us to do, right? 
But what I mean by playing it with love for God is that what you do should, in a fancy fancy terms, is stir your affections, okay? In, in your language, it means make you feel some type of way, right? So when you're doing what you're doing for the Lord, when you're preparing for it, when you're thinking about it, when you are in the act of doing it, it should stir up your feelings for God. It should stir up feelings that make you fall more in love with God. It should stir up feelings that make you feel satisfied and fulfilled and valued. That's what it should do, okay? So you do it with love for God, love that makes you go, I love God when I am doing this. I realize my true love for God when I am doing this, okay? And you do it for His glory, not yours, okay? You do it so that He gets the credit, not you. I'm the worst at accepting a compliment after a message. Like, it really bothers me when people come up after I'm done talking. Like, man, that was really good. I got a lot out of it. All I can say is thank you because it's really not me. It is the Lord. Again, I open my mouth and words come out. Hardly ever do I go through every word that I've written down on this piece of paper. Sometimes I don't even say anything I've written down and go in a completely different direction. Why? Because God, it's God. That is it. And he's the one that gets the glory. When we do it with love for God, he is the one that gets the glory, not us. People don't look at us and go, yay, them. We don't look at ourselves and go, yay, me. We do it with love for God. Second thing, we play it with a love for others. We play our part with a love for others. If you don't love who you are doing your godly thing for, the godly thing is going to be useless in their life. It won't have any power. It won't have any impact. Again, We wonder why most Christians in our culture don't have the impact they should be having. And the reason is because while they have the truth, while they are well-versed in the truth, while they know things that most normal people don't know, they use that to beat people up that don't know it instead of approaching them in love and going, I love you so much, I cannot let you keep going without knowing this. They're not out there trying to win people to the Lord. They're out there trying to win an argument. And that does nothing. It's useless. It's powerless. And it's not what God wants. We have to love who we are doing our godly things for or our godly things are useless and not very godly. We have to love others when we are doing what we are doing. And we play it with a love. Third thing, we play it with a love for what we're doing. We play it with a love for what we are doing. I don't know if you can tell, but I love this. Not just teaching. I, I love I love Wednesdays. I love getting together with sixth through twelfth grade students and talking about Jesus. I love hearing about your week. I love seeing you in small groups. I love this. I love what I do with a. I I I am whole. I am complete when I am doing this. I I know that you hear me talk about fishing a lot. You hear me talking about awesome vacations and stuff a lot. And I do love those things, but I do not love them more than I love. This, this is what makes me, me. And the beauty about what God is calling you to do, the part that he wants you to play, is that he, he has built you to love it. I am passionate for this because God has put that passion in me. 
and you will be passionate for whatever God is calling you to do, for whatever part he's calling you to play. That's, I think that's what we're most afraid of, is God is going to call us to do something that we hate, that makes us miserable. But he's like, nah, I built you for this. I wired you and put you together for this so that you will love it, so that you will understand what it means to do something satisfying and fulfilling. You think you hate it, but you're going to love it more than anything else you've ever loved in your entire life. You have to have it, have to do what you're doing for God with a love for what you're doing. That's the best way to play your part. And again, if you do it right, if you do it with a love for God and a love for others, you will. You will play it right, and it will fulfill you, and it will satisfy you. And that is what all of this means for you. If you're here on a regular basis, if you call Midtown your church home, then God has a part for you to play here. And you need to figure out what that part is. Because there are no nobodies in the body. So you need to start playing your part. That's your last blank. There aren't any nobodies in God's body, and I will start playing my part. Anybody know what a vestigial organ is? It's a term they give an organ that you don't really need. There are no vestigial organs in God's body. Everyone is needed. Everyone is important. You are important. You have a part to play. And you need to figure out what that is. I can tell you if you're here and you're not a Christian, the part that God wants you to play is the part where you have a relationship with Him. Nothing, again, nothing else is going to matter. Not me doing this, me telling you all this stuff, you hearing it, you be, none of that's going to matter, none of it's going to make any sense, none of it's going to do what God wants it to do in your life unless you have a relationship with Jesus. And so tonight, you need to make the decision to play that part. And that means finding me or one of our other adults to talk about it. But if you are here, if you are a believer... You need to, to figure out what God wants you to do. What part he wants you to play. And so maybe you sit out there and you see Kara and Kelsey up here doing what they're doing. And you want to be a part of that. It's a weight that you can't get, a, that, that you can't get away from. But you're afraid. Oh, I, I don't know if I'll be good at it. I don't, I, maybe you don't even know anything right now. Maybe you don't know how to play an instrument right now. And so you're afraid. Stop being afraid. As a matter of fact, the only reason Kelsey and Kara are up here is because they stopped being afraid. They came to me and said, we want to do this. I said, do it. Because that's what God is calling them to. And that's what's going to allow us to do what God has put us together for, right? Maybe you sit there and you're, you're, you're burdened. You, you just, it's like a weight that you can't get out from underneath to, to, to do what I do. And I, I got a message. I got something that God's been laying on my heart, and, and I, I feel like I need to do it, but I don't know if Aaron's going to I am not selfish about this at all. There's one thing I love more than everything that we do on Wednesday nights, and that is watching you do what I'm doing right now. It's watching you tell each other what each other needs to hear. 
And if that is what God is calling you to do, come talk to me. I will help you. But I live for that. And do it. I'm not selfish with this. Give me a break. Or maybe you're like, man, some of this is a little unorganized. You don't want to play a, a big role up here under the lights, but, but you want to organize things. You want to administrate things. You, you want to kind of help people who don't know what to do, figure out what to do. Come talk to me. I got a spot for you. Maybe you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm great with kids. Serve on Sunday mornings in our kids area. Find your part and play it. And then watch what God does. That's what I'm excited about, is seeing what God does through you when you play the part He's calling you to play. I promise you, we will not be able to find enough chairs to put in this room when that happens. We won't be able to keep the baptistry water warm if that happens. It'll be out all the time and we'll always have people in it and it will be because of you, not me. That is the beauty of it. You, where you sit right now, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, thinking I can't do anything for God because of where I am. That's junk. There's a part for you to play. God wants you to play it and I promise you if you do, not only will you be fulfilled and satisfied, but you're going to get to see God do things through you that you never thought possible. And if you want to talk about that, come talk to me. May not, may, may not tonight. Maybe you just think about it and you text me or email me or you talk to your small group leader or whatever. Figure out your part and play it. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for these students. And I pray that that is exactly what happens. Put your finger on them and not let them go until they figure out what it is. God, I love you. And I ask all this in your name. Amen. Hey. I love you with all my heart. See you next week.